All right, so uh, tonight we are going to do a, uh, a topic which relates both to, to Shabbos as well as to, uh, to Yom Kippur, uh, but it has to do with a, a general concept, a much broader concept than just uh, a particular Shabbos, per, uh, a particular Shaila on Shabbos or on, on Yom Kippur, and it has to do with uh, the uh, really an overall perception of how Halacha is going to look at a person's um, mental state, and certainly for a person who is ill, how their mental state is going to be um, is going to be valued, and how it's going to contribute, and how it's going to be taken into consideration when making decisions as far as medical treatment on Shabbos is concerned. Um, I'll just leave the introduction, and uh, is is that? If I can just find find the uh, sources. Okay, so. Uh, putting a patient's mind at ease on Shabbos and Yom Kippur. So that is the uh, the uh, the topic which we're going to uh, to see. So here is so the gar the 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 discussion begins with what I think is a, a very famous. If it wasn't until now, it will become now a famous uh, uh, idea in your mind. But a Gemara and Shabbos. So Gemara and Shabbos says as follows: This is source number one. This is Kuv Chav Ches Amid Beis says Amar Mar. So the Brisa teaches that im that we're talking about a woman who is in uh, um, she's having a baby. So in the event that a this is Shabbos now, so she's having a baby on Friday night, and they need a candle. So So if they need a uh, a, a candle, a light turned on on the in the delivery room. So the Brisa says they're allowed to turn on the lights. So everybody here is saying, Pshita, well, duh, obviously, uh, if she's delivering a baby, somebody should be able to see what's going on. Somebody has to be able to be attentive to uh, to the patient's needs over here. How could anybody possibly think that you would not be able to turn on the light in order to be able to see what you're doing when you're providing medical care? And remember, from Chazal's perspective, a woman who is in in delivery, who is in childbirth, so she is considered to be a chola, a chola, She's dangerously ill, and therefore you're allowed to be Michal Shabbos in all sorts of different ways. So uh, why would we? Why, why do we have to go ahead and mention the fact that uh, you're allowed to turn on a light, light a candle, kindle uh, a light, even though it involves malacha? So the Torah says, amazingly, and this is the famous part, besuma. We're talking about over here is where the woman who is in delivery, she's blind, and she's not going to be able to see the light anyways. So the Gemara says, Maldatema. Now, what exactly our Havamina is and what the what the question is and what the answer is, we're going to see. But Maldatema, what might one have said? Being that she's not going to be able to tell whether the light is on anyways. So maybe you're not allowed to turn on the light. Maybe that uh, that uh, her awareness of the light being on or off is something which would not register by us in Halacha. Kamash Mullah, and therefore the Chiddush's emphasis is a suvate miyasvadaita. That the reason why we're allowed to light a candle, or the reason why you'd be allowed to turn on a light, even if turning on the light involved some sort of isidaraisa, is because having the light on in the room where she's delivering the baby is going to put her mind at ease. Why? Kasavra, 
because she's going to think to herself, if she knows that the lights are out and they're doing everything just based on touch and they're just, uh, you know, that's uh, the most uh, the, that they're doing. So if the light is on, her thinking is in the event that there's some sort of medical need and they need to be able to see what they're doing, knowing that the light is on so that they can take care of things. So that is going to be valuable to her. That puts her mind at ease. And putting this woman's mind at ease, this woman who's in delivery, putting her mind at ease is enough of a halachic value. It's not even just halachic value, but it's, it, it's such a weighty value for us that it even allows Chilol Shabbos. Okay? That's what the Gemara says. Don't they have the Shabbat now, What exactly what is lit? the meaning in the implication of that? And how many different things are we going to be able to be uh, matter over here based on this idea? So let's just take a far-fetched case, which, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Eventually, the postcom are going to swing around to this. But let's say the woman says, listen, unless you put on um, uh, Aretha Franklin, a little respect, so I am not, my mind is not going to be relaxed, and there's no way I'm going to be at ease while I'm delivering this baby. When I practice my breathing, I did so to Aretha Franklin, and therefore without Aretha Franklin playing, there's no way I'm going to be settled. This is just going to be very difficult for me. So can we go ahead and turn on the CD player? Can we turn on the tape player, the eight-track player, you know, however far back you want to go, turn on the record in order to go ahead and play Aretha Franklin? Or do we say, that's ridiculous. You you don't need music to be on while you are having a baby. And we'll draw some sort of distinction between having the lights on in the room and different things, which she may say she absolutely needs, but... Maybe who are, are, is it up to us to decide what's a genuine need and what is a non-genuine need? So these are the parameters, which we, these are the uh, the issues which we're going to try and explore based on this passage of uh, of the Gemara. Okay, so here, so first thing is is that this halacha, this Gemara, which we just read, so from uh, the Gemara Shabbos, so this is codified in halacha, and this is towards the end of Hilcha Shabbos in Shin Lamed. So here it says, Yoledes, he sakanas. As we said, a woman who's in childbirth, a woman who's delivering a baby. So, in terms of categories of illness, categories of medical conditions are concerned. So she's put into the most severe of the categories, that of she's in a circumstance, in a medical circumstance, which is considered to be a danger to her life. And therefore, if we need to be Michal Shabbos for her, we are Michal Shabbos. And therefore he says, Whatever she needs in order to address her medical condition, so we would be Michal Shabbos towards that end because she is in the category of And so what's that going to mean in practical terms? So one example is, If you need to go ahead and call a midwife, or you need to go ahead and call an uh, obigaini to show up to uh, to deliver the baby or to take care of her medical needs. So you're allowed to do so because that's something which is necessary to uh, to treat her. Umiyaldinosa and whatever is going to be involved in delivery. So that also is something which is acceptable, even if, let's say, they have to do a cesarean section, a C-section, which involves cutting through skin. And normally cutting through skin is itself uh, a molacha on Shabbos, but if that's what needs to be done, so that will be allowed as well. And then this is the part which we were looking for. And we could go ahead and we could light a candle, turn on the lights for her, 
even in the event that the woman giving birth is blind and she's not going to be able to see anything anyways. But nonetheless, you're able to go ahead and you're able to turn on the light, kindle a candle for her uh, for her benefit. Now, what exactly are the parameters of that? So here we enter into an interesting discussion. An interesting discussion as we're going to see between the Magen Avram on the one hand and almost all of the other poskim on the uh, on the other hand. But what exactly are the parameters of this allowance to turn on lights for a woman who is uh, delivering, uh, even though she's blind? So Magen Avram says, "Afilu hisuma." So he's quoting from Shulchan Aruch that you're allowed to kindle this light even if she's blind. So Mal de what might I have said? Kevin de lochazi aser. This is what the Gemara said. Maybe since she's not going to see whether the light is on, anyways. So maybe it's Aser. Kamash Malam, therefore the Chiddush is, Yesuve Miyasve Daito, that this is going to, knowing that the light is on, is going to put her mind at ease. Sava, because she's now going to be more relaxed, knowing, obviously, in the event that my that uh, the, a, a medical need arises, so it's going to be important for her to know that the nurses and the doctors and the midwives and all of those people, they'll be able to see what they're doing because there's a light on. So even though the blind woman herself is not going to be able to see anything which is going on, but just knowing that if necessary, those who are in attendance will be able to see, that already puts her mind at ease. That's the Gemara. Now, ask the Kasha. So this is difficult, because why do we have to light a candle for the blind woman over here? And goes back to the series we had about whether, you know, when you're allowed to lie or not. Just tell her she's blind. So she's not going to see the light anyways. So just tell her you turned on the light. And just let her mind be at ease, thinking that uh, that the light's on. Yeah, we turned the light on. But she's not going to see anyway. So what difference does it make? So why is there a to actually turn the light on? Just lie and tell her that you turned the light on. So why can't we do that? Ask the Magen Avram. The Afshar, so he says, answer number one, it's possible to become welcome he at Maraner. So there's blindness and blindness. And some people have a type of blindness where they can't see things, but they can tell whether there's lights on or lights are off. So there's enough uh, working mechanism in, the, in their eyes that that much they're able to tell. So if you lie to her and you tell her the lights are on and she tells you you're lying through your teeth because I could tell that there's no lights on in the room. So then that's certainly not, she's going to lose her trust of you. And that would be bad when she's in this uh, you know, dangerous medical condition. Inami, or else she's going to say, She's going to say, oh yeah, the lights are on. How many fingers do I have up? And then when they go, so she's going to know once again that they're lying because she'll know how many fingers she put up. And if they can't see how many fingers are up, once again, she's going to catch them in the lie. And be able to know whether they know or not. Okay. Now he says, so that's why if we're going to do this, the turning on the lights, you actually have to turn on the lights because she'll catch you in the lie. And as a, a general yesod, a general principle, all of those circumstances where Chazal have heterim to lie, the only heter is if you're actually going to be able to deliver the lie and get away with it. But there's no heter to lie when you're going to lie and you're going to get caught in that lie. That's just going to cause more harm than good in the long run. And therefore, that's not a wise thing to do. So in order, so if, when we assume that there's a medical need, some sort of medical need to, uh, for the light to be on for this blind woman, so you actually have to do it. You're actually going to have to turn on the light, light the candle, whatever it's going to be, because otherwise she's going to catch you in the lot.
But now we ask the second question. But we still have another question, another uh, difficulty with this, says the Magen Avram. Why do we have to give the reason that we're going to put her mind at ease? Why is the heter to turn on the light? Because she needs her mind to be at ease. She needs to be settled and relaxed when she's having the baby, as, as relaxed as you can be having a baby. But she needs to be relaxed when having a baby. Hello, Tzrichim the attending nurses and doctors need lights to be on in the room because they need to see what's going on. So why do you have to come up with this far-fetched reason that she needs her mind to be at ease and she needs, in order to do her breathing exercises and all of that stuff, she needs the, the lighting to be in the right way in order to do so. Forget about her. The doctors, the nurses who are in attendance, they need the lights on to be able to see where the baby's coming out, to be able to catch the baby, to be able to examine her, to make sure that everything is okay, to be able to, you know, make sure that the umbilical cord isn't around the baby's neck or something like that. So why do we need to, why do we have to come on to this reason? Of why she of her peace of mind? Why not simply say the reason is because she uh, the uh, everybody else in the room needs to needs to be able to see. Okay, now says Machzis Hashakel, and this is where he's going to Machzis Hashakel is what they refer to as a super commentator, meaning that he's a commentator to a commentator. So the Magen of Ram is a commentator to Shulchan Aruch and the Machzis Hashakel is a commentary on the Magen of Ram. So he summarizes the Magen, uh, the Magen of Ram as follows. He quotes the question, and he says, What's the So what the Magen of Ram means to ask is, the mehai time of the that this idea that if the light isn't on, if the, if the blind woman in the delivery room doesn't have the lights on, her mind won't be at ease. She will not be settled because of her concern, her anxiety, that maybe there'll be a medical need to go ahead and attend to her or the baby or both or something. And if it's dark, so the, 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 the nurse or the doctor may not even notice the umbilical cord around the baby's neck if the lights aren't on. And they'll just go about their business, assuming that everything is fine, and not realize that there's actually something which is very dangerous, which is going on. Oh, Or they may not be able to do some things because the lights are out. And for that reason alone, to be able to give proper medical care, that should be the reason why we go ahead and turn the lights on. Even if she didn't care about the lights being on one way or the other, she didn't make one difference to her anyways. Let's say that uh, um, they, uh, let's say, uh, you know, she had already, um, you know, they gave her sedatives and she's already sleeping or something like that. She's unconscious. So if she's unconscious, it doesn't make a difference. She doesn't care where the lights are on at, at that point. But this medical staff in the room should certainly care. But it should nevertheless be permitted to go ahead and put on the lights so that the people there know what to do. And they should be able to properly attend. I assume that a hospital will get their pantsuit off if they went ahead and tried to deliver a baby in the dark. (laughs) I assume that that's not standard medical uh, procedure to go ahead and, and, and do so. So why do we have to come up with the peace of mind and the settled mind of the woman delivering the baby why not go ahead and just say it's necessary because the nurses and doctors need the light? 
So he says, V'achronim so the Achronim say in the name of the Levosh, Even if there was a circumstance where the nurses and the, uh, the doctors are sitting around in the bar after a long weekend of delivering babies, they would say, you know what? I've been delivering babies for 40 years. I could do it in my sleep. I could do it with my eyes closed. I could do it blindfolded. I don't need any of these lights, all these fancy lights that they put all above the, you know, the woman who's delivering. I don't need any of that stuff. I could do it just based on touch. I could do it based on feel. And I'll show you. And we'll go ahead and they uh, they, they turn out the lights. So, and they, they say, listen, I've been delivering babies in the dark for years and years and years, you know, whatever country you want to go to where they don't have electricity. So, uh, you know, you have people who are skilled uh, midwives and whatnot, and they, they do this as a, as a regular thing. They deliver without lights on. So, so therefore, you would say that in such a case, there would be no heter to go ahead and turn the lights on for the sake of the medical staff, because they literally could do it blindfolded. But still, in the event that the patient who happens to also be blind, says, I am not going to be settled unless the lights are on and nobody else in the room needs the lights on, still, mutter. It's still going to be permitted. Why? Because her mind being settled in at ease is such an important element in her medical care that once she's in the category of that she's in a dangerously ill matzav, a dangerously ill uh, uh, circumstance. So we are going to go ahead and allow them to turn on the lights to settle her mind. Because she doesn't trust the medical staff. They're confident that they can do this blindfolded. But she's only had a few babies. She doesn't know that uh, how skilled they are. And she doesn't have the confidence in them that they could go ahead and deliver the baby blindfolded. And therefore, she's not going to be at ease. She's going to be filled with panic and anxiety while they're trying to deliver the baby with the lights off. And therefore, uh, that alone becomes such a, 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 uh, an important factor in the, providing her with good medical care that it allows already for Chil Shabbos. It allows us to turn on the lights, even though, this is the amazing thing he says, Av she'en ha'emes even though from an objective perspective, it's absolutely not necessary to have the lights on, but nonetheless, from her subjective perspective, she needs the lights on because otherwise she's not going to be relaxed. That already is enough of a reason to go ahead and allow uh, allow somebody else to be Michal Shabbos on her behalf. This seems to be moving in yes, the so. direction that uh, where Aretha Franklin is going to be. You, you got to speak loud. Oh, hold on. Oh. Maybe I should turn up my microphone. Wait. Start again, Al. It seems to be moving in the direction where Aretha Franklin is also going to be mutter. Where what? It seems to be moving in the direction where Aretha Franklin is also going to be mutter. Aretha Franklin is also I'm not hearing the rest. Is of also going to be permitted. If yes. Well, yeah. Right. It it, it could be that we're we're, uh, we're 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 going to see. That's why we have more sources ahead of us. So, so I'm assuming that they're using the, the blind uh, mother. Just hold as on we... one second. I'm wondering what, what's, what's, let me see if my. Try again. I'm assuming they're using the blind mother as the, as the Ooh. worst case scenario. Okay. So hold to on, speak. hold on, hold on. I can't. Sorry. I'm, I'm... Right. My speakers generally are not good, but now it's even worse. Speakers. Now try. 
I'm assuming. Ooh, that's much better. <laughs> okay. Assuming that they're using the blind mother as the worst case scenario, so that it's if it's if it's even if the mother is blind, you have to do this for sure. If she's sighted, you have to be, you have to do this. Right. Then she'd be even more of a panic. Correct. Right. right exactly. Okay. Right. Okay, so now the, the likelihood that any of us are going to get a Shaila, which is related to a blind woman in the delivery room and turning on the lights on Shabbos, uh, is very little. But it does have, this, this principle has some pretty significant, uh, very practical uh, ramifications. And one source which addresses this is the Abiy Omer. So this is Revavad Yosef. Long uh, uh, discussion over here about various meta about he's writing comments about another safer. So he says as follows. He's quoting this safer as we as we're going to see. He's critical of it, but he quotes a safer which says, "This is in Chelik Tes Archaim Simin Kuf Ches Os Kuf Aintas." So he says, "Mash Asalis Lavos Yo Lattis Kishinos Asa Beisachol Mitzachle Dasa." So the author that Rav is commenting to was of the opinion that although a woman who is in labor is allowed to get a ride to the hospital, she's allowed to go with Hatzalah or the ambulance or drive herself, let's say, to the, uh, to the hospital in order to deliver. But, uh, but it's usher that the, the author that he's talking about holds it's usher for anybody to accompany the woman in labor to the hospital. In the event, if she doesn't ask for anybody to go with her, then nobody's allowed to go with her. If she asks, that's one thing. But if she never says, I need somebody to come with me, so this author was of the opinion that nobody would allow to volunteer and insist that they're going with her if she doesn't, if, if she doesn't want it. Says Ravavadya, I disagree. Maybe the reason she's not asking anybody to accompany her to the hospital is because she's afraid that why should anybody be Bechal Shabbos on my behalf, thinking that the person accompanying her is doing something wrong. So she, don't want, she doesn't want to be responsible for somebody else's Avera. Because not all women who are having babies necessarily attend Young Israel of Skokie's Thursday night cheer to know that's absolutely permitted. And therefore, much to their uh, to their detriment, they're unaware of these uh, essential halachas. And and when the when she is when the woman who's in labor is accompanied by a friend, a relative, a husband, her mother, whoever it happens to be, so that's going to give her greater peace of mind. She's going to be more settled in the entire process with this person that she feels uh, comfortable with. Kehi the Shabbos, like the Gemara and Shabbos, which we saw, which we don't have to read again. And he says that uh, after quoting the Gemara and Shabbos, he says, din kan, and the same thing is going to be true over here. When somebody goes ahead and accompanies a woman to a woman in labor to the hospital, so tia regua bishaliva. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that second with that last word correct, but she's going to be more at ease. Shalva is like settled. So she's going to be more, uh, more relaxed and more settled. And even in the event that the labor pains become very strong as she is on her way to the hospital, it's going to be a comfort for her to know that uh, some, uh, some trustworthy person is there. And he says, the kach kasva chazun ish 
And the Chazonish was the one. The Chazonish is generally known as a machmer about many things. He was the one who wrote this in a letter. Lizares eskrove, jumped around. Lizares eskrove yoledesheyisu ima abishabes. And the Chazonish encouraged somebody to accompany a woman in labor as she is going to the hospital on Shabbos because of this element of Yesuve Daita. So this is something which Rav Vadya says that, that there are some circumstances, not only if she asks for it, is it okay, but we should assume that this is something which she needs. And even if she doesn't ask for it, she may not be asking for somebody to accompany her only out of ignorance because she doesn't realize that it's something which is necessary and it's something which is absolutely permitted. And she thinks it's something which is usher, and that's why she doesn't want to ask. But Rav Vadya insists, and he, uh, he cites Preston from the Chazanish, that this is something which is very important for a woman in labor to be able to be as relaxed as she can be, to have her mind settled, to feel comfortable with uh, with what's going on around her. And that itself uh, aligns with the principle laid down by the Gemara that says that Yesuve died to that, putting her mind, a person's mind at ease when they're dangerously ill is an important halachic value to such a degree that it allows for chil shops. So that is Revavadya's application of this. Now we have an interesting thing from the uh, from the uh, the Tzitz Eliezer. And the Tzitz Eliezer now begins to say that listen, this idea that to put a, a person's mind at ease, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start just uh, dispensing with isuri daraisa and all sorts of things like that. That's really not such a pasha thing. Not only is it not pasha, but as he's going to demonstrate, we actually have sources which indicate that we don't allow for a violation of a daraisa, just to put a person's mind at ease. And sometimes there's going to be a cap on what's allowed, and that cap is going to be durabanans will dispense with, but we're not going to cross that threshold and say that even an isa daraisa is going to be allowed in order to put a person's mind at ease because they feel something uh, which is going on is important. So isn't, isn't lighting a light in isa daraisa? Yes. So he's going to point out that there that we have so the sources which we saw until now say even Isidorais is allowed, but now we're going to see other sources. The Tzitzelias is going to cite other sources which only go as far as Isuri Darbanan, but don't take that additional step of crossing that threshold to allow for an Isidorais as well. And he's going to pose it as a question. Then we have to figure out some theory as to when we allow a violation of a daraisa and when we would only allow a violation of a durabon. Okay, so he says. So this is again the, the Tzitzel Eliezer. He was uh, he was very close with uh, with uh, a, a number of doctors. He was the rav on staff, I think, or the the postic for Shari Tzedek Hospital. So he had a, a vast experience with medical things in, in, in halacha and wrote about it extensively. So here he says, this is in the middle of this kuntras which he has, which runs a, hundred, a few hundred pages. But he said he was a machine in terms of writing. But he says, which he calls kuntras meshivas nafesh. And this is, this is the ninth chapter of this kuntras in there. Okay. So he says, in Orachaim, Simon Shinvav Siftas, Matsina Behedyashitiru Kazeh, Lavor al Isidraban. So we find elsewhere that the most that one would be allowed to do for somebody who's ill is to violate an Isidraban. Why? Where do we see that? The Nifsaksham, because we pass it over there in Shinvav, 
the chola, the takifle alma. Let's say you have somebody who is deathly ill; they're on the uh, you know death's door, and v'amar, and the person says sheishu bar krovav. Listen, I want to see some family members before I pass away. They're far off in a distance. I need, I need, I need somebody. This before there were telephones or, or you know or, or WhatsApps or whatever. I need somebody to go ahead and get them. He wants the, he wants somebody to go ahead and bring his relatives. So you're allowed to send a goy. You're allowed to send a non-Jew outside of the tchum. So they're traveling all the way to New Buffalo for those Dafyoli people. So if somebody's going to travel all the way to New Buffalo to go ahead and retrieve these relatives on Shabbos in order to settle the mind of this person who's dying who wants to see these relatives before he passes away. And then he says, Ramish So he says to send out a goy who's going to run or who's going to drive or ride on a horse or something so that he can track down these relatives so that they will be able to come after Shabbos, because that's by the time they get there, it'll be after Shabbos. That's permitted. Tiruf means to become confused, to become overwhelmed. So the person who's dying, we don't want them to feel overwhelmed by what's going on. So we take steps in order also to relax their mind, to feel that we're attentive and we're connecting with them and we are, we're, uh, we're trying to take care of their needs. And that itself, because otherwise, if they feel that nobody's listening to them and they're not getting what they want, that itself, that disturbance could be very harmful medically for them. So we tell them, listen, we just sent Tony out. Tony is on his way to go ahead and get your children, to get your siblings, to get whoever it is, your ch- whatever it is. We went, we went sent Tony to get them, and then the person can settle for a little bit because he knows that they're on their way. But what do we see from here? Points out to Daito. The whole thing, which all which we allow in order to make sure that the patient doesn't get overwhelmed, by the fact that he may not see his relatives before he dies, the only thing we allow is the of asking a non-Jew to do something on Shabbos that a Jew isn't allowed to do. But you're not allowed to go ahead, you're not allowed to, if, if there were no non-Jews available, and the only person available to run to New Buffalo to get these relatives to come was a Jew, that would not be allowed. So here we have this case where we're trying to make sure that the patient's mind is settled, and we don't allow a Jew to do an Isidara The most we allow is to ask a non-Jew to go ahead and do it on your behalf. And then he says further, And if you look at the Arach and his comments to this, he explains, he says, we wouldn't even allow the Jew himself to be over Nisidrabanan. Right? Amir al-Nakhri is telling the non-Jew to go ahead and do something, but if it was necessary for the Jew to go ahead and do an Isidrabanan himself, the Archa Shulchan says, we wouldn't allow that. We wouldn't allow him to do such a thing. Biyos being that, she'ein zerifua, because sending for these relatives is nothing, has nothing to do with medical care per se, 
We're just concerned that if the if the dying person is not does feels that the, that he's not going to be able to see his relatives, so that's going to be disruptive to his state of mind. So it's not a medical concern. You're not going to call in the doctor and say, doctor, I think his, his mind is becoming disruptive because he's not getting his way. We're not talking about anything. We're not talking about something like that. It's not a medical concern. It's just he's good. The patient themselves are going to become upset. They'll become unsettled. And therefore, since all we're talking about is becoming upset or unsettled, the Rosh Hashokhan says, not only are you not allowed to do an Isidara the Aruch HaShulchan says, you, a Jew, wouldn't even be allowed to do an Isidra Banan in order to alleviate that anxiety or that upsetness or that the, 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 the disruption of, of the mind. So obviously the question is, why when it comes to the woman in labor and delivery who's blind and she wants a light on, we allow in Isidara or to accompany a woman on the way to the hospital, we allow you to get into the car with somebody else in order to, uh, to make sure that her mind is settled. And yet in this other halacha, seemingly the exact same thing, and we're not allowing it. So when yes, when no, what, is the, uh, what, what are the principles which underlie these halachas? So says the Tzitz Eliezer, Lomar, what we need to say is, Okay, so it was a long statement, but he says we have to differentiate between not all settled minds are created equally. In the case of the woman who's in delivery, her the reason why we want to make we want to settle her mind, even to allow a violation of an isidaraisa to that effect, is because her concern is. If you don't turn the lights on in the room, I'm not going to get proper medical care. That's what her concern is. Her concern is not that just she wants her mind to be relaxed. It's not just that she wants to see her relatives. That's one thing. But here, her her concern is a genuine medical concern. I may not get the, 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 the quality medical care which I or my baby need. And therefore, if her mind isn't settled... Uh, as far as the quality of her medical care, that's a genuine, serious concern that we have. And it's such a genuine, serious concern. In that circumstance, that will allow Fechil Shabbos. That will allow to turn the lights on, that will allow turning on a fire, whatever is going to be necessary to do so. Because that's what her concern is. Her concern isn't simply that she wants to see relatives before she dies. Her concern is that it's going to compromise her medical care. That's what the Radvaz is talking about. So he says, so he says, Ki bisham, in that case of the woman in, in labor, her fear that she's not going to get proper medical care, that anxiety could trigger all sorts of physiological responses in her, and her heart could start popping, all sorts of things could happen which would not be healthy for her, which would not be good for her. So when her concern is really a medical one, that she's not going to get proper medical care, then we allow even chil shabs. The rock, but on the other hand, but in Simen Shinvav, where the person who's dying wants to see his relatives, not that his relatives are doctors, they're not going to be able to do anything for him anyways, but they, the, the, the dying person just wants to be able to see them. 
So the, the desire that the dying person has isn't something which is related to medical care. It just relates to the fact that they want to be listened to and they want to know that somebody's making an effort to bring these relatives in. So other examples of this are where a person wants to make sure, these are other examples which are not in Shinvav over there, but other examples mentioned by Chazal and in Shulchan Aruch. Let's say you have a person who's dying and he wants to make sure that his wife doesn't fall to Yibum. So what are you going to do when he's, he's dying? He'll likely die on Shabbos. He can't write a get now on Shabbos because Ksiva is an Isidara So he wants, but he wants to make sure that his wife is not going to fall to Yibum. So will we allow him? And he's very, he's very agitated about that. So would we allow the Malacha Darais of Ksiva to write a get on Shabbos so that his wife doesn't have to fall to Yibum because that's going to give him a little bit more peace of mind? Tzitzeliezer says, no, that's not enough of a criteria because that's not related to his medical care. Or a person's dying and wants to distribute his assets to specific people. Specific things are going to go to specific people. And uh, normally, in order to, uh, to gift something, so you have to make a kinyan. But the people aren't available. The people who, the recipients of these gifts aren't available. They're in New Buffalo. They're in South Haven. They're, uh, you know, in Atlanta or something like that. So you can't actually make a kinyan with those people. So there's an allowance for a person who's dying to be able to convey ownership of that just based on the declaration alone, but nothing which is going to involve any sort of this or Um And v'chein, and similarly, the case which we talked about, is b'lahavi lo krov of to bring him his relatives so that he should be able to see them before he dies. So in these cases, says Itzitz Eliezer, in all these cases where the anxiety is, has not, it is not directed uh, at medical care per se, but Shiru Chazal, So there Chazal said that in the event that his wishes are not fulfilled, about non-medical things, Chazal were not afraid that this would lead to his demise. He'll be upset, he'll be agitated, he'll be whatever it is, but this is not something which is going to potentially hasten his death. That Chazal were not concerned about. And therefore, being that it's not something which is going to lead to death, it will make him upset. It will make him unsettled a little bit, but it's not going to be so bad that it's going to put his life at further risk as a result of what's going on. And therefore, in those circumstances, the most that we would allow is to go ahead and to, uh, to, uh, uh, to do an Isidra Banu, or to ask a Goy to go ahead and do something, but nothing more, nothing more than that. Now, this is something which uh, may be a distinction which we could articulate the difference between these two categories um, in a shear, but as Tzitz Eliezer is about to acknowledge, lemaisa when you're actually dealing with somebody, so it's difficult to know how upset are they actually going to get if we don't do what they want. Right, now going back to the, uh, to the example uh, of Aretha Franklin. So maybe if her breathing practices were linked to listening to Aretha Franklin, that may be a medical concern. And therefore, it's the same way that she wants the lights on because that's going to be something which is important. So if she needs the, uh, to, uh, to do that, um, so that's, uh, you know, that may very well be something which is, uh, 
which uh, which would be allowed because that may be directed to medical care. That would we'd have to argue, as he says, ubehecha, and in circumstances, shiroim sheim really ritzono gam bisham tavili de pikuach nefesh. If we see very clearly that if this person cannot listen to Aretha Franklin, they will die. Shouldn't happen to anybody that they, they should be in such a circumstance where they'll die without Aretha Franklin. But in the event that somebody was in such a matzav, in the event the doctor were to assess, listen, we're watching, we're watching breathing patterns, we're watching heart rate, we're watching blood pressure. And when the Aretha Franklin tape uh, came to it, when side A was over, all of those things spiked. As soon as the, the music stopped, all that stuff does spike, and it's, they're, it, they're dangerously ill now, and I really think if we put the music back on, they'll settle. So if the doctor comes along and assesses that that's what's going on, so then flip over the tape and put on the other side of Aretha Franklin. What's a, what, what, if it's a matter of life and death, it's a matter of life and death. And therefore he says that there's theoretically these two different categories of those concerns and those anxieties which are medical treatment related, those automatically we assume are life-threatening, necessary to maintain good health. And then we would allow an Isidoraisa, blanket heter for an Isidoraisa, driving a car to take a, you know, to, to get to the hospital uh, while a woman is, it was, is in labor or something like that. Those things which are not directly related to medical care, our default setting is that this is not something which is going to put the patient's life at risk. And therefore, the most that we would allow is an isidurabanan. But in the event that it becomes clear or there becomes a genuine concern that this is something which is pot- which is potentially life-threatening, then we would allow a chil shabbos even for, uh, for, for those things. Now, one last part, because I, I mentioned Yom Kippur in the title over there. So let's go to uh, to the Yom Kippur thing, which is which is also it's a very interesting perspective to add to uh, to to the discussion over here. So this is based on the Gemara in Yuma, but it says as follows. So now we switch gears from Shabbos to Yom Kippur. We say as follows: This is in Simon Tough Ratio Ches So you have a an ill person where they need to eat. That's the, that's their their medical condition uh, indicates that they should not fast. Now, or let's say the patient says, "I'm starving. I need to eat." So, if there's an expert doctor to consult with, even if it's a non-Jew, but he says, "In my professional opinion, if you don't feed this patient, their medical condition will get could get worse." Not, it will get worse. Fshar, it's possible it will get worse. And then if it does get worse, the patient's life may be at risk. Then even one doctor says, I think they need to eat. So we go ahead and we feed the yeah, we feed the patient because the doctor said it's potentially dangerous. We don't we don't play games when it comes to a person's health. And not only if the person says that they'll it'll be dangerous for them, certainly if the doctor says without eating, they will die. You know, in their assessment, the person's going to die. Then he says, this is where the, we begin to get towards the Chiddush that we're looking for. And now the, the, um, the, uh, the heter or the mitzvah for this patient to eat is not only where the patient said, I need to eat. And the doctor confirmed that if the patient doesn't eat, it would be bad news. 
But even if the doctor says, you really need to eat, it would be dangerous if you don't eat. And the patient says, I don't need to eat, I'm fine. I fasted Yom Kippur plenty of years, plenty of decades. I've been in worse circumstances than this. I'm going to be just fine. Don't you worry about a thing. Show me the rofe. So we listen to the doctor. The doctor knows best. And then we're going to go, don't let that go to your head. But doctor knows best. And we're going to allow the uh, doctor to go ahead and make that call and override the patient who says they don't need to eat. Now let's do the reverse. The patient says, doc, I really need to eat. I'm feeling very weak. I feel that if I don't eat, it's going to be dangerous. I may not survive. I don't know why that vav got moved over. Even if you have the entire medical staff who's in the hospital at the time says, I don't know what the patient is talking about. The patient does not need to eat. No way, no how. It's absolutely unnecessary. They're going to be just fine. They're on an IV. They're getting plenty of fluids. They're getting plenty of nutrients. They don't need to eat. And the patient says, nope, I need to eat. Otherwise, I'm going to die. Show me the chola. We listen to the patient. The patient has the authority in that case to say, I need to eat, even to overrule all of the doctors and all of the, uh, the experts in the field. The, the patient is going to be allowed to do so. In other words, now the Mishabur explains, and this is what, why this is like so fascinating. He says, Omer. The patient says, He feels it in himself. That he needs to eat. And he needs to eat so badly. That if he doesn't eat, so then the, the, he's afraid, he's genuinely concerned that the illness will, will take a turn for the worse. And it may be dangerous for him. So he's allowed to eat in that case. So Shulchan Aruch says that the patient could override all of the, uh, the doctor's opinion who say that he does not need to eat. Ubevad, now it's not a blanket hatter. Ubevad, Ubevad, before you give the patient to eat, you have to remind, remember that it's Yom Kippur. They have to be aware of what's going on. So you remind them it's Yom Kippur. Because maybe while they're ill, the Shema Shakach. Maybe they forgot that it's Yom Kippur and they think that's just Stama Tuesday or Stama Wednesday or something like that. And they just want a sandwich because it's Wednesday and they always have, you know, a pastrami and rye on Wednesday. So that's what they're, they're asking for. But if you reminded the patient, listen, it's Yom Kippur, and the patient says, I know, but I still need to eat. You don't have to go ahead and start challenging him, questioning him, and saying, maybe not eat, let's wait a couple of minutes, let's wait an hour or something like that. As soon as the patient says, I need to eat, you give him to eat. You don't play games. Why? And here's the key. Because every person's heart knows the illness of their soul. Meaning each person is aware of how they're feeling, of what's going on inside of them, better than any expert who's just examining from the outside. So if the person is able to say, I know I'm not well, I know something is wrong, I, I can tell that if I don't eat, this is going to be something which is dangerous for me. So we absolutely take them for their word. As long as they know it's Yom Kippur, we take them for their word because because we don't assume that somebody's going to go ahead and make the declaration, I'm ill, Elizabeth, this is the big one. Go ahead and make that declaration so they can eat on Yom Kippur just because they want to eat, uh, you know, a, a, a pastrami on rye on Yom Kippur. We don't assume we're talking about Rishayim. We assume we're talking about people who are generally 
uh, committed to keeping halacha. And when you have such a person who says, I need to eat, even if all the doctors say you don't need to eat, that already is, a, is enough. Now, this would sound like, now what happens if the patient says, I need Aretha Franklin. So this heter, which, which we use for Yom Kippur, this idea of, I'll highlight the phrase again, that a person knows the illness of his own heart, the person knows his own medical condition, so is that something which will allow one, even on Shabbos, to say, I need Aretha Franklin, I need the TV on, I need to, I cannot miss one episode of Wheel of Fortune, there's no way, no, how I'm going to die if I don't get to watch, you know, this episode of Wheel of Fortune, whatever they happen to say that they need, so do we always take the patients seriously when they go ahead and they say, I need this thing in order to be able to survive? And where do we draw the line and say, you don't really need this and, uh, and you're sort of fooling yourself? So if you take just sources seven and eight, and with this we'll finish, if you take seven and eight by itself, so you could define this very broadly and say, regardless of what the patient asks for, we'll always go ahead and give it to them if they insist that this is something which is important and they may be in danger or they may die without it. But it seems that most posts can say that sources seven and eight are unique because the patient is talking about something which they need to consume. I need something inside of my body. My body is weak and therefore I need the nutrients. I need uh, food and the energy and the calories Otherwise, it's going to be a dangerous. And you doctors may not realize how important that is to me, but I know what I'm feeling inside, how starving I'm feeling and how that is. But something which like listening to Aretha Franklin or something like being able to watch another episode of Wheel of Fortune or, you know, Final Jeopardy, uh, you know, to see whether or not they're going to win the next, uh, you know, whatever is going to be. That's not something which they're taking inside of them, which makes sense, would be something which is potentially life-threatening or not. And therefore, posted, there are many posts are very hesitant to do things other than this narrow case of the, to apply this principle of Levi de Amaras Nafsho, they're very hesitant to apply that to something like Aretha, Frank, uh, Aretha Franklin or Wheel of Fortune or whatever, uh, Final Jeopardy, whatever that, that's going to be, because it's unlikely that that will be something which is going to have any medical impact on the person whatsoever. Rabbi yeah, Schaffel, yes. Rabbi Schaffel, I think this was a brilliant hop on your part to pick Aretha Franklin with the pregnant woman who is about to deliver, because yeah. when she sang her song, Respect, she yeah. spelled out R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Why did she do that? Because the lights were off. <laughs> excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Beautiful, yeah. Thank okay. you. So Thank this you, is... So these are well, let me get this. So so these these are some of these uh, these uh, essential issues as far as medical care, as far as Yom Kippur, uh, of things to uh, to be mindful of how halacha perceives and and looks at this idea of of yishuv hadas of be having a settled mind when uh, when providing medical care. That's something which is uh, which is very important, but there. Are, obviously have to be specific parameters which are going to be applied to that. And we're not going to go ahead and just start, uh, you know, monitoring everything. Just because a woman goes into labor doesn't mean she can order her double bacon cheeseburger and say, finally, double bacon cheeseburger, this I need now to finally settle my mind. That would be a little overboard and we would not, uh, probably not accept that. So that's where these, uh, you know, these discussions about how exactly to draw these lines become significant. All right, y'all. Thank you. Okay.